What's going on? Welcome back to the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I have an amazing episode for you today. Make sure you listen the whole way through because I speak with clinical psychologist Josh Smith. And I've actually spoken about Josh before on this podcast because I've known him since I was a teenager. But We talk about a lot in this episode, and one of the best parts of the entire episode was the discussion around setting personal boundaries. This is a discussion that I've been asked about a lot in terms of how I'm able to set boundaries, and I wanted to discuss that with Josh because he is a clinical psychologist, and he's very good at breaking these things down uh, from all the way from the scientific perspective all the way to the more practical and realistic perspective. So if you struggle with setting boundaries, make sure you listen to the entire episode. Don't skip around listen to the whole way through because there's so many gems dropped throughout. I think you're going to love it. And just so you know, throughout the episode, uh, at the end of the episode, I asked Josh if he had a social media account to follow him and he doesn't have one or he didn't have one, but he made one because he's ready to start. He's ready to start sharing and, and how he can help people. So he made a social media account, an Instagram account. I will put his Instagram handle in the show notes if you'd like to go follow him and shoot him a message there as well. So with that being said, let's get into the episode. One sec. Give me one sec. Let me just make sure this is working. Take your time. Do what you got to do. All right, bro. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Uh, let me make sure that my settings all every once in a while, it likes to take it over and it's like, no problem. I know you said, please go to like this headphone and that, <laughs> and then it just like undoes it. And I'm like, oh, thanks. I appreciate no, it's that. good. It's dude. It sounds perfect. And by the way, it sounds just so okay. You know, yeah, it sounds amazing. Just so you know, this is, uh, I, I I'm recording already. Everything we say from now is going to be on the podcast. I don't like to have the whole like, Hey, let's talk first and then hit record because then it's like super, I don't know, it's like forced. And like you have to pretend like you just said hello for the first time. So everything we're saying right now is going on the podcast, just so you know. Not a problem. Not a problem. So like I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't do anything embarrassing moving on from here. I do, I, embarrassing is great, I think. I think more embarrassing the better. But so here's here's what I wanted to start off with. I'm going to give you a second to introduce yourself to everyone who's listening. But before we do, just to, I want to clarify, you're a clinical psychiatrist, correct? Psychologist. Psychologist. I always screw that up. Okay. Clinical psychologist. And have you ever listened to my podcast before? Have you listened to it or no? Of course I've listened to your podcast. Okay. Well, I don't know. Are you kidding so, me? I, I I didn't make notes about things I've listened to where I want to come back to and be like, this was impressive. <laughs> and this is what you were talking about, like in regular everyday terms, instead of like using clinical terms or things like that. You know, who would make notes? That okay. would be bizarre. Did you hear the episode that I spoke about you in? Because I didn't, I didn't say you by name, but no. I, I, okay. All right. So a while ago, I, I, and I don't even know if you remember this incident, but I made a podcast about how I've, I've made a number of solo podcasts where I just like talk by myself and yeah. I'm behind on me. I'm behind on making them in 2022, but there was one that I spoke about specifically how much I hated college and how I was having a really bad time in college and how, do you remember, I don't know if you remember, I spoke to you on the phone in my college door. Do you remember this conversation? So I I spoke about the conversation and about how basically I wanted to drop out and all of this stuff and how I was having a really bad time. And you said to me, basically you were like, well, listen, are you going to drop out? And I was like, no, I'm not. Cause I, I don't want to lose the relationship with my mom. And you were like, okay, well then in that case, just look at it like you're in detention. And that was the phrase that you used for You were like, just look at it like you're in detention. You know, you're not going to leave. You know, you're not going to drop out because you don't want to hurt your relationship with your mom. 
And, you know, if you do drop out, that would strain that relationship. So you're just in detention for the next three and a half years and you might as well make the most of it. And that's when I started my business that that's when I started. I was like, you know, I'm here. I don't care for it. I don't like it, but I'm going to have all this free time because I don't care about the grades I get. So I might as well start my business. And that was because of you, Josh. And that's, I figured that was like the best way to introduce this episode because you've been such, even in many ways, had it been a huge impact in my life. But I know a lot of the people who regularly listen to the podcast who will remember that story. Like this is the guy who inspired me to look at it like I was in detention. And I've used that same phrase, that same tactic many times in my life when I didn't want to do something, but I had to. So with that being said, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and tell everyone who you are and where you're from and all that fun stuff? Yeah, of course. I, I can't believe I missed that one. And it's so funny because I remember the conversation completely. Um, I don't I don't know that I remember that I used the detention analogy, but yeah, you did. <laughs> but for sure, I remember that whole conversation because it was it was one of those like uh, like there are pros and cons to each. And yeah, you know, yeah. and it's funny because I remember. Oh, I think it was like a couple years later, because like some part of me after that conversation was a little worried that you were going to be like, yep, as it turns out, I could have got exactly where I am without having to college. And I was like, <laughs> and I was going to be like, ah, oh, crap, that was bad advice. And, um, and like, I think it was you didn't, you did like an internship or a placement or something at like the, um, Oh my God. Was it, it an Olympic? Barbell? It was like Olympic. You, you like, like something yeah, like you know, with the Olympics West Side, and West side barbell, they're like the best powerlifting gym in the world. Yeah. Yeah. In, right. in Ohio. You know, just that, just like, <laughs> you know, um, just, just the, just the best one in the whole world. No big deal. But like, and I remember you being like, I'm not a hundred percent sure I could have got that if I wasn't in college and that wasn't my like in to be like, I need credit for it and whatnot. And I was like, okay, great. At least I didn't give them like totally terrible advice. You know, um, though I would still say that is so completely to your to your credit that you were like, well, then I got to make the most of it because easier said than done. Yeah, that's I mean, it was it's definitely easier said than done. But I, I always look back at that being a major turning point in my life, that conversation and that decision making process and sort of that ability to to think in my head, OK. I know that this is the choice I'm making so I can either sit here and bitch about it and like just be really upset about it or I can do something with it, you know, and that sort of by you saying, listen, you're in detention. It put a really good image in my mind of like, cool, like I'm I'm in detention. I know the choice I've made, so I'm just going to have to do the best I can with it. And that was a, a big turning point in my life. But so, Josh, awesome. for, for everyone listening, Josh is, is one of the best storytellers I've ever listened to in my life. <laughs> like. And and I've known you since I was 14, uh, right? Since that's, that's when crazy. we went to South Carolina, I think, when we did Habitat for Humanity together. And uh, just had, I think I was 14 or 15 on that trip, and you were a chaperone. I mean, I remember, I mean, I think I might have met you when you were in seventh, you know, and really? like through the actual after school program. And like, but I can't remember, you might have been older and I was teaching younger kids, but I can't really remember what it was. But for sure, Israel, Israel was like, our first like full yeah, bonding, on bonding like let's yeah. get to know each other um you know and then from there it was all just i mean you know habitat for humanity it was like maybe one of the i i think i there are moments of that trip that i don't to date i'm not sure i've ever laughed that hard <laughs> um but um all right so i'm supposed to give the intro um 
You know, uh, well, so right. So I'm a psychologist. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what, what people want to know. What is the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? Just because I have no idea. No, no problem. I, it, I'm, it, it comes up all the time because like, why would, like, there's no real reason anybody would know unless they are overtly involved with one versus the other. So a psychiatrist is a full on MD, like goes to medical school, goes through like all of that. And their specialized training is in the area of mental health. So it's an MD that they can prescribe medication. They mm. do very few psychiatrists actually do individual therapy. Most of them do kind of medication management, things like that. Some do, and it used to be that psychiatrists did both. Now it's much more of a, they're managing the medical side of kind of a biologically based or chemically based mental illness. Got it. Okay. Which mental illness sometimes colloquially sounds way worse than it is, but like anything, depression, anxiety, all the yeah. way up to like more significant. So psychology is, so I have a PhD, um, you know, not an MD. And so my training- I've got a PhD, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, See, I when you repeat it like that, it does. It sounds so like, you're like, yes, I just have a PhD, not an MD. I'm just screwing um, with you. It's okay, man. <laughs> no, you know, you can mess with me as much as you want. So yeah, but like my training is all more in therapy and individual couples- you know, you know, things like that where, you know, it's much more talk based therapy or I do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy where it's looking at kind of how thoughts and actions can impact the body or, you know, but yeah. So the big difference is if you go to see a psychologist, it's going to be more for individual or talk based therapy and a psychiatrist is going to be more medical, you know, or medicine based. So it's an MD versus a, you know, PhD. Got it. And and, yeah. and clearly the PhD is better, right? That is. <laughs> oh, man, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself, um, you know, because, uh, yeah, a PhD is an interesting thing. I love what I do. I am beyond lucky that I had the opportunity and that I was fortunate enough to be able to go and do it. It is a heck of a commitment. And, you know, it's a. Uh, it's a interesting life path because it takes some time and you know but uh but no i mean i don't think i could have made it through medical school because i don't have the aptitude for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay so, you, so you're a clinical psychologist yeah uh go on go on with the intro from there so all right so in terms of like overall like from the the therapy realm if it's more of like the introduction of who am i and what do i do um you know so so I've been doing clinical work for a while. Uh, I used to do more inpatient work. I worked all in an inpatient setting with severe and persistent mental illness. Um, interesting stories there because for a while I basically worked in a forensic setting. So uh, for lack of a better way to say, I worked with the criminally insane, um, you know, but from there transitioned into another area. And so I work in basically like, you know, medical settings. I'm, you know, three days a week, I, I work at a hospital and a pain center. Uh, and I'm a pain psychologist. So I work with people who have chronic, you know, chronic medical issues anywhere from, um, you know, back pain to people who have had surgeries or, you know, just have conditions that result in kind of chronic, you know, unremitting pain. Um, you know, uh, and two days a week, I have a private practice and I do more, I do work with individuals, couples, families, um, you know, in an outpatient setting. So, those are kind of the two things that I do, um, you know, and then every once in a while I sit face to face with you and we chat. 
and well, and also, you know, you're a husband, a father of two beautiful children, uh, and uh, and tell everyone about about like you personally, outside of just professionally, because I think you're like one of the most amazing people in the world, just as an as a human. Oh man, come on, that's so nice. I mean, it, the funny thing is, right? Like we could we're gonna end up with a podcast of us both talking about how much we love one another <laughs> because, like, yeah, there's so much history there, and then also like. What I tell people all the time, anytime I like send somebody to your website, recommend one of the posts that you've put up or podcasts, I'm always like, hey, everything you hear, you have to know that Jordan is one of the most genuine people I've ever met. And like when you like you can hear it in your voice. I think it's why it's why so many people are drawn to you. I mean, you, you have incredible knowledge and you're unbelievably passionate. But I also think that like it's you. It's all real. And there's there's no replacement for genuine. Mm. Um you know, I, I mean, it's funny when I used to work with trainees, I used to kind of say that to them because I'd be like, listen, like if somebody presents something or an issue and you don't know, you're better off being like, oh, man, that sounds terrible. I have no idea. Yeah, because exactly. that is yeah. going to help somebody more than if you're like, well, that's interesting. Let me like quote this particular <laughs> Based on my text research. And like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. like it's never going to get you anywhere. But like being able to look at somebody and be like, oh, man, like that sounds rough or that sounds diff, like and just mean it. You know, people can feel it. Uh, people yeah. can feel it when you say like, oh, "I'm so sorry," and yeah, they they know you mean it. So so um, so in terms of my family, where I'm from, like, <laughs> so I grew up in the Massachusetts area. Um, you know, married, two kids. Uh, my kids are six and nine. Uh, you know, I can't my my six and nine. Jeez. Uh, oh, me either. I like. Uh, almost daily I'm like what's happening like you know I mean we even we got something in the mail the other day about you know that that's telling me when my daughter's uh bat mitzvah date has been oh my God. set for really and, yeah I had to like you know sit down on the floor and like you know I was like all right I'm gonna need you know to have a little bit of a cry and like <laughs> you know um, but yeah no she so my daughter's nine and my son's six um I I'm I love them both beyond everything. I mean, I'm like wrapped around my daughter's little finger, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and no, they're, they're, um, they're amazing. And I can't, I can't believe they're six and nine. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's unreal. It's kind of a crazy, it's like a crazy journey. Uh, you know, I mean, it's funny because anytime people, you know, when you have kids, everybody loves to talk about the amazing part of it, right? Like everybody talks, Oh, it's a blessing and it's a miracle. And it, absolutely 100% is and nobody likes to talk about the fact that it is also like really tough and it pushes you to your max and like it will put strain on the best and strongest of relationships but nobody tells you that mm. and like it's like oh that's a fun little surprise like people <laughs> are like you know like, um like uh oh god it, it is it's like I, anytime I work with like new or expectant couples, I will tell them outright. I'm like, Hey, just be prepared. There's nowhere else in your life. You can go from complete and total love to fiery rage and back to love in like a second. And it will mess with you because you're <laughs> like, you will be like, Oh, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, uh, what just happened? Like something went through my brain and I'm not sure where it came from. So like, and people like I've met with people where they're like, so I'm pretty sure something's wrong with me. And I'm like, no, no, you're just sleep deprived. And like, you know, it was amazing and frustrating. And like, but like people don't love to talk about the frustrating parts. That's true. But I mean, it, it's probably, I mean, it's half of what like, you know, 
so many of the podcasts of yours that I've listened to are getting into that fact that like, we don't talk about the hard parts. Like, mm. no, like it, people only present on the parts that are crazy successes. Like, you know, and so it builds inside of us all of this, like this perception of like, oh, then I'm not doing it. Like, mm. well, because it's not that. So I'm not. And then when you start to struggle or like, and you find, oh, oh other people also have trouble with this. Like, and it's like, oh, right. There it is. That is, they only, yeah, thanks. Why didn't anybody tell me that before? Um, That's so true. And like, and social media makes it so much harder because you can just see these flash images that make it appear like it was so easy and so quick and so fast. And when you're going through what's totally normal and it's not easy and it's not quick and it's not fast, you feel like a failure. And when the reality is what you're going through is totally normal, you've just been fed this lie of what it's supposed to be like. So it's skewed your expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it uh, absolutely. I mean, it's funny because there was one of um, one, one of the podcasts you listened to. I, I, I'm like 90 percent sure that it was it was a one on one one with um, with Aaliyah. I think yeah, she was yeah, like yeah. she's like a doctor and she like, you know, and she was talking a little bit about like postpartum anxiety and depression mm. and like. Nobody tells you about this stuff and it's unreal because it's a very bizarre example. Cause obviously, you know, um, the, the two of us will never physically have a baby, but like, you know, um, but like, <laughs> I remember when Allison and I, uh, or Allison's my wife for anybody, you know, so we went to like, before we had Leah, my, my daughter, we went to like a newer expectant parent, like weekend or class. And it's really bizarre. You have a whole room full of people who have never been parents. And the majority of what they spend their time on is telling you how the baby gets out. And it's like, <laughs> it's the one thing you have zero control over. Zero. It's like, okay, thanks for telling me. I, we have no, like, they tell you, oh, I'll make a birth plan. And it's like, okay, you can make a plan, but you have no control. Like, right. I, I think right. the only benefit to that is learning and hearing all the terminology so if things go not as planned mm. you're not learning something new on that day that makes sense but one of the weirdest parts of it you know and again i know it's funny for me to talk about nursing um but like so they have like lactation consultants come in and like all of a sudden they're like how many people here are going to try breastfeeding <laughs> and you have a bunch of new moms that are like well yeah like but it's like the tone is off you're like why are you saying it with this serious tone of like you're going to try it right and it's, and you have all these new moms who are like, yeah. And what you find out after is, oh, right. It's because for the vast majority uh, of women, it either has some issue, doesn't necessarily work, doesn't go as planned. It hurts. And like, but they don't tell you any of that because, mm. and I, I do not know the statistics. So like, let, let's consider this more an anecdotal than anything. Like, I think for like 70% of women, there's some issue. Wow. So they present it as if like, let's assume everybody's the 30% because we don't want to scare off the 30%. Right, right. right. That, that it's that it just goes well. But then for 70% of women, after your body has been through all of this, you have a kid and you're exhausted and you, and all of a sudden it doesn't work or something's not going quite right or, or a baby's having trouble latching and, you and they like bring in your fault or something like, geez, right? yeah. And you label it as like, oh, like something's wrong with me or I'm, and it's like, no, this is literally what most people, like more people experience. And then they bring in like lactation consultant and experts. And, and it's like, you're learning all of this when you are exhausted, <laughs> just had a baby 
and you're trying to figure out what it means like and it's unreal because all of a sudden they're like oh well now we'll tell you yeah this is really common it doesn't work very well for everybody and it's like now you tell me like yeah, you didn't why didn't i know this early on <laughs> it's like they're terrified to tell you in advance hey just so you know this could be hard or difficult or might not and their word people would be like oh hard and difficult then i'm out yeah you know yeah. and and so it's funny, it's kind of actually what got me into wanting to work with new and expectant parents at that point, because I was mm -hmm. like, ah, okay, somebody needs to be able to just tell people this is what you're in for. And there's lots of resources and things you can do, but like, just be prepared. Not everything's perfect. It's so much better when you know ahead of time that it's going to be difficult rather than because I feel like I can understand when I was like, for example, when I was an, a young coach and, and like a, just getting into the industry, I was scared to tell people about how hard it was going to be or the difficulties of it i for many reasons i didn't want to scare them off um i i want in my mind at that point i was like oh well if, if it doesn't seem that hard now they're more likely to actually try but what i learned early on was that the more the more unrealistic the expectation was the less likely they were to succeed it, and it, it didn't really have anything to do with trying everyone was going to try to some degree but if their expectation of success was off, how hard they were willing to try and how long they were willing to go was completely different. So if you set them up early on with this expectation of, hey, this is what's going to happen, they're more likely to keep going when it gets tough. So it's, it, it makes total sense. I totally agree. And I think it's a it's like a healthier way to go. It's a healthier thing to go into something with like with clearer, more honest expectations. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and. You know, so we'll have to have way more conversations about what you guys are headed for. Um, hey, yeah, we will. We will. Uh, we're, we're excited, man. That's awesome. I'm so happy for you guys. So so you got two beautiful kids. How's Allison doing? Is she doing well? Awesome. Yeah. I mean, she's... I should say, um, Alice, so Allison's your wife, as you said, but you and Allison chaperoned... Well, so you chaperoned my first trip to Israel ever when I was yep. 16. So you chaperoned that trip. And then the next year was was uh, Habitat for Humanity. Is that right? Yeah, the next year was Habitat for was, Humanity. Was it back-to-back -back years? Yeah. Yeah, it was back-to-back -back years. And so, but then you turned 30 on the flight back from Israel when I was like 16. You turned 30 on that flight back to, to the United States. And then the next year, Alice, and I remember, dude, I remember this because I remember, you know, like growing up, I didn't see a great marriage and my parents and everything. And I remember hearing you talk about you and Allison and, and I was just in awe at 16 years old. And I, you remember me back then. I was like, there's no, I'm ever getting married. What's the point? Like, it's stupid. It all ends in divorce and everyone's angry and mad and da, 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 da. And I, I remember just inquisitively asking you about your relationship with you and Allison. And it was so interesting to hear you talk because you were like, yeah, if, if one of us is upset with something, we'll just say to the other one, Hey, I didn't like this. Let's talk about it. And I'll be like, and I was like, do you guys yell? And you're like, no, we, we just, we have a conversation. I was like, really? There's no screaming? <laughs> it was just, and and it was so interesting because that was my first introduction to what a healthier relationship can look like. So, and then I met Allison the year after on Habitat for Humanity, which was amazing. And so, so she's doing well. She's good. She's awesome. She, yeah. And, and I will also say, you know, so when you met us, that's pre-kids, you know, and <laughs> I'm just for all of your listeners, you know, have to be able to say like, yeah, yeah. Even very healthy relationships involve a certain amount of yelling. So like if there are, if you have listeners out there that are like, 
oh man, we yell at each other all the time. Like that does not mean it's not a healthy relationship. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> you know, because uh, life gets tough, life gets messy. Um, we've certainly had our fair share of like, it, it's, it's being able to work through it. You know, it's being Got able it. to kind of say like, okay, sure. There are going to be moments in every relationship where you're like, okay, you know, this is, this is a frustrating day or like, you know, we might not see this eye to eye. And that's exactly how people talk to each other when they're, you know, frustrated. They say like, wow, I'm feeling frustrated today. No, or not at all. Um, I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's, um, I don't know. I think it's, a, it's, it's funny because whenever I meet with, with couples, I almost always start off by saying uh, anybody who thinks being married is all good and no bad has either never been married or is totally full of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I will tell people all the time what you're looking for in a good relationship is that it balances out to be more good than bad. Every relationship has some amount of compromise or you know areas that you don't match up perfectly and you're looking for it to balance out to be more good than bad. And not every day, not every moment. I, I think when people are in new relationships or dating, they assess every moment and it gets exhausting because if you're like, okay, I had one moment that was like amazing. And then the next moment I was like, okay, I think this relationship like makes me miserable. And then the next moment it's like pretty good. Like they exhaust themselves. Cause they're like, well, is it good or bad? Which one mm. is it? And it's like, no, it's that's So I will tell people like, right. Don't assess it every single minute, like assess it quarterly. And that doesn't mean you can't have a bad quarter. Right. So mm, then you want to like almost zoom out and be like, check it out for a half year or a full year also doesn't mean you can't have a year where it balanced out to be more bad than good. But mm. you're just looking for like, yeah, sometimes you have a bad quarter. Sometimes it might not even be a great year, but you're looking for a relationship that like balances out to be more good than bad. Mm. And when people talk about that honeymoon phase, right, that's in the very beginning when you're like, okay, we live separately. We don't have to share all the, like, you, that's where you get like so much good and none of the bad. Yeah. And, you know, bad's the wrong word, but like, no, you know, it's not a challenge. Yeah. It's not, it's and some so it's bad. <laughs> some of it's bad, but like, you know, you, you're just looking for that balance and, you know, and I think that, uh, it's funny because even some of the, even some of kind of the, I don't know, I was going to say the best couples I know, but like people who are really like, you know, have had their moments, uh, or their months or their years, you know, where it's like, uh Oh, like, I'm not really sure what, you know, you know, what, where I'm at right now. Um, but no, I mean, I think that like, I think when you, when you find somebody that you're a good match with and when you find with somebody that, that kind of helps push you in the right direction, you know, or challenge you on some of your own nonsense and uh, that in general make things kind of more enjoyable. It's a, it's a really lucky thing. It's a really fortunate yeah. thing. It was really interesting. You were talking about the honeymoon phase and I was thinking back in my relationship and so my relationship started as a long distance relationship because my wife, she lived in Atlanta and I was in New York and I was coaching Gary. And a lot of people talk about how long distance relationships don't work. They just don't work. They don't work. And in my mind, I'm like, well, a lot of close distance relationships don't work either. So there's that. But but also I actually so the honeymoon phase and tell me if, if, I, if you disagree, if I'm wrong. In my mind, so much of the honeymoon phase is because so much of it is so physical early on. There's just so much, there's lust. There's like, it's easy to, it's easy to ignore things with someone. Like you might see them do something that you don't like or just morally or ethically or you're against, but 
because the the physical aspect is so good, you'd be like, ah, oh, maybe it was nothing or whatever. But with a long distance relationship, when you don't have that physicality early on and you're forced to just talk, like my wife and I, like we all we could do was talk and we saw each other like once a month for a couple of years, but the rest of the time we we spoke, we actually got so much arguing done out of the way early on. And then everything was just communication, communication, communication. And then so finally, when she decided to move to New York, it was like, oh, wow, this is this is great. This is way easier now. But the, the distance was hard, but our communication is what made it work. Whereas I think so much of that honeymoon phase is clouded by the the lust and the physicality of it. Yeah. I. You know, what's interesting is that like, it, I don't know. And again, this is like, it's just kind of my own, my own view of it. Like it, it's so different for everybody, mm, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so it's really fascinating because I think that like, yeah, sometimes early parts of the relationship, the physical component absolutely clouds it. You know, other times the physical component can almost be like a really, you know, like almost like a defense mechanism where it's like, wait, this is the easier communication style or model for one person or both of them you know every relationship we all kind of we all kind of develop like workarounds right mm. like kind of the that's that like notion of you have a couple and one person likes to go to bed early and one likes to stay up late well okay you you figure out subtle ways to like work around it you know where it's like oh well one day you might come to bed a little bit earlier to uh, appease your partner and another like Okay, like you figure out workarounds. So what's interesting is life gets more complicated or, you know, you add kids into the mix or jobs or travel, like it puts pressure. Mm. And I think one of the things that's really hard is if you haven't figured out what those workarounds are or like when you put more pressure, that's where you're going to feel it the most. So, right, like not to keep using babies as an example, but like that same scenario, easy to figure out before you have kids. All of a sudden you have kids and if it's like right one person wants to go to bed at like nine and you put the kid to sleep and then you know like so if i stay up until midnight and then all of a sudden that's when the baby wakes up for its next feeding and i'm like oh well i haven't gone to sleep yet so well now all of a sudden if you know you know if allison had you know, i'm using this hypothetically but like if allison had been like hey i've tolerated that most of our relationship it drove me nuts a little bit but we figured out a workaround now all of a sudden it's like there's no workaround she's gonna be like right. oh, you gotta be kidding me like i'm not taking a second <laughs> shift you know because like you wanted to stay up late like right. so all of a sudden it's like uh oh if you never figured out a way around that now you're trying to figure out like a reasonable relationship issue when you're both sleep deprived and you're both like you know and so long distance close like it it's funny it's really different for everybody um i yeah. think for some people the long distance is too much um yeah. you know for others they're able to say like okay well you know how do i rely more heavily on kind of those communication skills or that way to connect or um people are more or less comfortable traveling or feel you know more independent themselves and are like yeah there's lots of things that i love to do it's really, it's, it's really different for everybody. Um, mm. and that's where it's like, yeah, it's trying to find a relationship that like so much of it is, is the right timing and, and having some skills that overlap and having similar values or because if the two of you met and one of you was like, Hey, the long distance thing is just 
like I'm I'm missing too much of the closeness, not necessarily the lust or the this the sexuality component, but even just the like, if that had been too hard for one or the other, it places a huge strain. Mm -hmm. And then what do you do? But for the two of you, you were able to figure out a way to say, hey, we can make this work and we can connect in this other way. And then when we're together, like it, it kind of creates this full picture for some people that's possible for other people. It's not for some relationships. It can be better. You know, some like, I mean, we've all had friends where we're like, I don't get their relationship. You know, where <laughs> yeah. you're like, makes no sense to me. Like, nope. Like I could never handle that. Or like, no, that wouldn't work for me and my partner or what. Like, but very often it's because it's like, all right, well, some couples, it's like, oh, if one person travels like a certain amount of time, like it can actually be better for their particular combination. Mm. And, you know, and so it's it's interesting. I just think it's different. It's different for everybody. There's no like one recipe. It's why anytime like I get something like in the mail or I get something that's like, oh, like here's a, like I, I once I once got something that was like, uh, somebody was like trying to put together a six week like manualized couples therapy, like program. And I was like, okay, like, nope, you can't come up with six standard sessions that work for every couple. It's like, right. I don't even, I almost don't even need to review it. Like, <laughs> like I, cause like, I can tell you, yep. Like session one might work for 50% of the, the couples. Session two might work for 20%. Session three might be at 80%, but there's no way you can just give people a pre put together, like, Right. This six, six sessions works for everybody. Like it just, you know, it just doesn't. It's hard enough. It's hard enough with one person, never mind with two people. And then you got to figure out the dynamic of the, yeah, that's just, yeah, that doesn't make sense. No, it's, I mean, right. It's, it's half of what I end up doing uh, in my day to day or my, like my week is, uh, no, it's good. It's kind of an odd non sequitur, but like, you know, with, with patients that I deal with that, that are in chronic pain, I'm, literally teaching them uh, relaxation strategies, you know, because mm. conceptually the idea, um, I, I swear this will come around and make sense, but like when the body is in pain, uh, it has a natural unavoidable physiological response, right? The, the body tenses up. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is if you already have pain, uh, whether it's from inflammation, nerve-based pain, muscular, anything like that, well, a lot of it comes from inflammation, swelling, Right. So like if something essentially pushes out, that hurts, you know, but if the entire musculoskeletal system like pulls in, it can exacerbate it. Mm. So, but we don't control that. That's not like, that's not so like, you know, that's all the autonomic nervous system, like, you know, heart rate, blood, like blood pressure, you know, respiration rate. These aren't things that we naturally control. You're not actively uh, thinking about it. It just it right. happens. Yeah. It's like a fight or flight response. Right. Right. Like if a dog is running at you, it's, it's your fight or flight response that goes, okay, like increase heart rate, like muscle tension, shot of adrenaline, like get prepared to, but with, with that scenario, if somebody catches the dog and leashes it, there's a visual cue that tells mm. your body, okay, like we got it up. So like trigger what's very often called like a relaxation response, bring everything back down to baseline. Mm. But with chronic pain or almost honestly, any chronic condition at all, there's no visual cue. So the body just remains at like a state of readiness. Mm. So it kind of stays tense. So a lot of what I do is I teach people these relaxation techniques like meditation, um, breathing, muscle relaxation to try and train yourself 
to like basically counteract that stress or, you know, that stress response and trigger this relaxation response to like lower heart rate, lower blood pressure to kind of give the body a little bit of, you know, a break. Um, and so when I teach people this again, it's not something that you can just hand somebody and be like, oh yeah, like, you know, this app or this manual says this works for everybody. Like it doesn't, you have to figure out a way, you know, right. I mean, it's so much of what you've done is say like, right, there needs to be personalization and there needs to be awareness of what somebody's style is, what they like, what they don't like. If you're going to try and figure out a way to implement change in your life, it, it just, it can't be by like, oh, yep, this works for everybody, you know, or like how many people do you know who have been like, oh, somebody I know loves like this one gym, this one approach, this one, like they love cycling or they love this road. And it's like, so somebody's like, I'm going to do it. It's like, well, do you like rowing? No, I don't. It's yeah. like, well, but then why are you, because your good friend loves it. Like, you know, that, that it's not going right. to work for you if, if it's not your style. And so, so much of what I'm doing is I'm like, right, all right, let's start with some basics and then we have to tweak it or change it to find what works for you. Mm. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's funny, think bringing that up, like the exercise component just made me think about on one hand, you have the people who are like, they, their friend does it. Oh, yeah, Shirley does spin, and I hate spin. Like, it hurts every part of my body, and I hate it. But she lost 25 pounds, so I'm going to do spin. It's like, well, that if you don't like it and it makes you hurt, maybe you should try something else. On the And what a lot of coaches have done, though, and I made this mistake early in my career as well. They'd be like, you have to find the thing that you love. And with exercise, this is really interesting because the reality is not everyone's going to love exercise no matter what. Right. And it, so it, it it really pisses me off when I hear coaches just being like, you have to find the exercise you love. Just find it, find it and you love it. I'm like, motherfucker, they might not love any type of exercise, but it doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. So it's sort of finding that balance and individualizing it. Like, listen, you might not love it, but how can we make it as easy as possible for you and as painless as possible for you so that at least you can get the benefits without like feeling guilty because – you don't like anything, even though this 22 year old influencer is telling you just, Oh, find the one you love. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> no, no, some people hate it. Yeah. I, and, but that's one of those things that I feel like we don't really, again, right. It comes back to the same idea of we don't talk about it honestly. Like, yeah. and so when people get this message of like, you know, like find what you love and it's like, well, some people want the, the outcome, whether it's how they feel or, you know, uh, feeling stronger or feeling like just more confident or, and hate the gym and hate working out. So in, in that respect, like, no, you're better off if you find somebody who says, Hey, okay, you, you hate this. All right. Well then we need to find what you can tolerate. We need mm -hmm. to find what can legitimately fit into your day or your schedule or your routine that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I remember in grad school, uh, like I was in, I was in classes, but I had a practicum and the only time I could exercise was early in the morning. I'm never going to be an early morning exercise person. <laughs> like, I'm, it's, it's not going to happen. Like, and at the time, you know, it's like a different life. I was running, um, or let me restate. I was jogging for exercise. Um, jogging, you know, jogging. Don't want to, right. I don't want to, I don't want to give anyone the impression that I was like a runner. Like, you know, it's a very different thing. Like I enjoyed a jog. Um, but, and the first time I did, I had to like, I was like running at like five in the morning or five fifteen. I did it twice. 
Um, I felt like I was moving through sand and I hated it. And like, and this is at a time where I really enjoyed running. And again, that comes back to what you were saying of like, enjoyed it. Like I had gotten to a point where I very much appreciated it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I and found a way to enjoy done. it. Yeah. <laughs> right. I felt great when it was over, you know, but if I had committed to like, well, I need to run like three days a week at five o'clock in the morning, if I'd committed to that, like it was never going to happen. Yeah. Like if anything, it would have taken something I had really, I'd taken time to learn how to like enjoy for whatever way, you know, and it would have turned it into something I hated. Mm. Like it, it, so th yeah, that whole, like, no, 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 just like find what you love. I, it's, um, it, I think you're always going to be more successful if you're able to be like, Hey, I don't like this, but I want, like, I would like some change. I would like something different and I don't like it. So how do yeah. I find something that like I dislike less and I can actually fit into my day and like is sustainable, you know, for, but people tend to like, people tend to, you know, overall motivation, people tend to hold themselves to these crazy high expectations mm. or they set a benchmark where somebody will be like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. But once you set this mental anchor point, anything less than five days a week, the brain registers as failure. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, so now if it's like a Monday and you had a shit day and you just don't want to go to whatever class or do like, a, and it's like, all right, well, if I don't, then my whole week is shot. And it's like, what? Like <laughs> what? No, like I would rather have people say, you know what? I don't love this. I need to like mentally commit to doing it twice a week. Mm -hmm. If I can do it more, great. But like, or, or to even just say to yourself, like, great, I'm going to set three days a week and I'm going to give myself a, like a, like a one-time pass mm -hmm. because now again, this won't work for everybody. Like for some people, what ends up happening is they're like, I only get one pass. So like on Monday, they're like, do I want to go to the gym? No, no, I don't, but I don't want to use my one pass today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they'll go like Monday, Tuesday. So they don't have to go Thursday. Right. You know? Right. And, but you put up a video, oh man, years ago. And like, I think I've told you this, but like I reference it all the time and I apologize if I completely like at this point I've taken your video and I've tweaked it and changed it to a point where like, I may be completely just, you know, plagiarizing your work okay. or like, <laughs> but you would put up a video about dieting and this whole concept of like, you know, of binary thinking or success failure. Right. And the way I remember your point was you were essentially saying, right, if I decided on a Thursday, like I'm starting a diet and you go into work and you go in someplace and somebody got like, you know, munchkins or sorry for anyone not on the East Coast, a donut <laughs> hole, um, you know, uh, you know, and you're like, uh oh, and, and you eat one. If the brain registers that day as a fail. If nothing else you do in the rest of your day can alter that, right? If I make 10 great decisions and one bad, the brain registers failure more clearly than success. So now all of a sudden on a Thursday, I'm like, well, by 9am I failed. So mm. the rest of the day makes no difference. So, and then people are like, I'll try again tomorrow. And then they're like, ah, well, Friday, I like to go out <laughs> Friday night after work. So like, well, but then it's the weekend. So like, all of a sudden you're like two tiny donuts and you're like starting your diet again on Monday. 
Yep. And it's like, what just happened? Like, I reference that all the time because that internal feeling of like the second you register a fail, it if nothing, it it's just not that binary. It's not one or the it's other. That, yeah, it's not black and white like that. Right. Being able to say like, okay, yeah, well, I had a donut. Like, uh, all right, so be it. Like, I actually think what gets people in so much trouble is, um, you know, and, you know, I, I'm a very visual person. So like, I, like, I think in metaphors and like, you know, and analogies, and I almost picture it like in your brain, there are like little versions of yourself, like sitting in a mm. conference room, they're wearing like sports jerseys and every single one has its own like role right so there's the unfiltered part of the brain there's the rational or like intellectual part of the brain but then there's like worry doubt anxiety like they're all characters like i think the number one thing that messes with people is when the characters kind of can't get along so if mm. you walk into your office and somebody put out like a bowl of hershey's kisses it's the unfiltered part of the brain these automatic thoughts we cannot control them if the unfiltered part of your brain goes Ooh, candy. Okay. That, that is a normal, healthy thought process. Like nothing's, but if the intellectual part of the brain goes, Hey, we said we're starting a diet today. Mm. You cannot have that. All of a sudden the unfiltered part of the brain goes, um, yes, I can. It's clearly for everyone. And I have arms <laughs> and I'm an adult. So of course I can. If that intellectual part of the brain goes, no, you can't, it creates this internal, like basically cognitive dissonance, this like, mm -hmm. I, it doesn't agree. And then what happens is the unfiltered part of the brain goes, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, I don't even understand what we're arguing about. You want me to show you? I'll show you. And then you eat like three, four, five Hershey's kisses. And like, and it's like, see, right. And then all of a sudden, like, that's when like guilt walks into the room and goes, Hey, what happened? We don't even <laughs> like Hershey's Kisses. If we were going to waste part of our calories, why would we do it on that? We should have had our favorite candy. And then the whole room is like, oh, yeah, yeah, we should have done that instead. <laughs> you know, and it's a really hard thing to learn how to kind of teach the intellectual part of the brain to say, like, instead of being like, no, you can't to say, wait, hold on. Like, of course we can but mm -hmm. we're trying not to. And if we're gonna waste calories, we should at least save it for like, you know, you know, ice cream when we get home or like chips with lunch or because that will get the unfiltered part of the brain to be like, oh, well, that does make sense. You haven't denied that candy tastes good. So like it eliminates that internal fight mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to like kind of perpetuate it where like some something has to win. Right. Some mm -hmm. part of the brain is like, I, I, what are we arguing about here? Like, you know it, I know it, and I don't want to have to prove it. And we do that to ourselves all the time. We create these internal struggles and then, and guilt, by the way, guilt just loves to follow other parts of the brain around and like, just mess with them. Guilt you is know, the worst, like, man. Guilt will eat uh, you a lot. I, I was actually thinking, I was going to ask you, how do you deal with guilt? What, I don't care if it's about like, exercise like you you skip the gym you haven't worked out in a while or you ate something that you feel like you shouldn't have how do you help your patients deal with guilt like do you have any strategies for that other than eating the hershey's kisses <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know 
Uh, well, this is exactly what I go through. When people have that kind of guilt, you know, um, sometimes like I literally have this conversation. I'm like, right, hold on. You have to start identifying, you know, one, where's the guilt coming from? You know, is it self-imposed? Is it coming from somebody external? Because like they're both there. You know, I, I mean, if if you grow up in a household where, you know, it's constantly pointed out when you do or don't eat something, mm. you know, or, you know, if if you have family members that have a physical presentation, that's what you're looking for. It, mm -hmm. All of these things can create guilt. A lot of it comes down to can I acknowledge that the unfiltered part of the brain, that automatic thought, can I can I help myself admit a reality? You know, and to try and say, wait, uh, OK, of, of course, I feel badly about this. Or how do I not like sometimes it's 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 really trying to reprogram the intellectual part of the brain to say like, hey, acknowledging something do doesn't mm. doesn't doesn't mean that there's some sort of problem. It, it's it, the emotion system and the intellectual system uh, don't speak the same language. So mm -hmm. you can try and convince yourself of something intellectually all day, right? But that's no different than, right, if I'm talking to somebody who has a fear of flying, that's emotional, right? It, mm -hmm. If all I had to do is say like, oh, well, like, have you tried not being afraid of flying? <laughs> if that worked, right, like, okay, I would, I would only ever meet with people for like one session. Right. Like, you know, it'd be like, oh, what are you feeling worse about? Oh, flying? Oh, well, don't do that. And they'd be like, oh, thanks. And we'd like high five and they would, you know, and I would never see yeah. them again. Like, it'd be like people who struggle with eating too much. It's like, well, have you tried eating less? It's like, well, if it was that easy, right. I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Like that was, um, oh man, uh, I'm going to butcher this. But you had said that in one of your podcasts where you said there's a big difference between like easy and simple. Um, yeah. Correct. You know, yeah. And right. So like, sure, it's simple, right? The intellectual part of the brain is the one that says, oh, I can I can look at all of the data and research out there that talks about is flying safer, not. But the, the emotional system doesn't care. Correct. Like the emotional system is like, right, but I'm afraid. Right. Logically, I know that more people die in car accidents than on flights. And I can look at the research and know that very few planes ever go down because of turbulence. But when I once I start feeling turbulence on that flight, I'm going to start praying to God that this thing doesn't go down. I'm going to have a panic attack. Right. <laughs> and it's like, but I think that like, so in, in terms of guilt, whether it's about the gym, whether it's about life, sometimes it's about just being honest with yourself, which is scary and difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to downplay that. The other thing is, you know, is I guess some of what I think about is that that we all category we all catalog things as as need or want mm. in general. When you're trying to set aside time to do something, we label them. And fundamentally, a need always outweighs a want. Correct. Yep. But the challenge is we very frequently mislabel. <laughs> uh, so if you think about it, right? So like, let's say, let's say you're working with somebody or somebody's trying to figure out, hey, how do I fit this in my day? Right? Like uh, you, you recently put something up about like walk, just, just walk. Mm -hmm. So if I'm at work or I'm at home or, and I say, you know what? Uh, like half an hour of a, a walk, I need to go do that. Well, the problem is if we label that as a want, not a need, mm. then what happens is a couple things can go. One is, well, if somebody else in your life has a need, it's always going to win out. Mm. So I want to go for a half an hour walk. 
But if my boss or a friend shows up and says, well, I need this from you during lunch, well, a need versus a want is always going to win out. So people will prioritize others' needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so the difficulty there is, one, there are certain things that over our lifetime we label as luxury. Anything put into a luxury category, we put into a want, right? So massage, right? Like we all, for the most part, like throughout our lives are like, oh, getting a massage is a luxury, which means it can only ever be a want. But if you take somebody who is, you know, who has a very physical profession or has chronic pain or has had an injury and all of a sudden getting a regular massage actually helps keep them at their optimal performance. We don't rewrite that. We don't Mm. go back and say, okay, this is actually a need. We keep it in this want category, which means it's so easy to bump. It's so easy to be like, oh, well, but I think the bigger issue, and when you get into guilt and things like that, is if you label something a want, that's one thing. But if you downplay a need and label as it a, as a want, then you will keep canceling it. You'll keep mm. saying like, oh, well, all these other things have to prioritize. And the other issue is if you have people in your life who chronically mislabel their want as a need. Yeah. Now you're in trouble, right? Because so let's say I say to myself, hey, you know, the reality is I need an hour to myself. I need to either take a nap or I need to rest or I need to go for a walk or I just need an hour by myself. Well, I'm more likely to say I can't be a need. That, that has to be want. But then if you call me and say, hey, Josh, like, uh, you know, I need you to come to the dentist with me. No, you don't. You want it. <laughs> but in that moment, you know, people who are people are who tend to be, you know, you know, empaths or more kind of, you know, empathetic in general, um, you know, uh, people that I kind of think of more as like a natural accommodator, people who wanted kind of bring the most good they can to their group, like whatever that means, right? Will very often sacrifice their own needs. So in that scenario, if you call me and say, hey, I need you to come to the dentist with me. Well, if I've labeled that hour to myself as a want, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass on my own need. And the reality is you don't need it, you want it, but you've labeled your want as a need. I've labeled my need as a want. I'm going to chronically cancel it mm. and I'm going to feel bad about it. Um, and now a couple things happen. One, I'm going to be frustrated. Like I might actually be a little angry and I might even be angry at the request because now I feel like, well, I can't say no, yeah. <laughs> you know, which means I'm like, well, I have to say yes. And I'm going to be a little bit like, oh, why did you even ask? Right. And almost everybody has had this happen before where somebody calls and says like, hey, I need you to take me to the airport. And it's like, all right, well, that was the only time I could go for a walk. Right. You know, or that's when I usually kind of prep my meal or like that's when I've set aside time to like kind of, you know, slice fruit, vegetables. Like what's fascinating about it in my mind is like, okay, um, do you, my friend, have a different way to get to the airport? Can you serve that need in a different way? Yes. Can I? Can I get that hour back? Mm. well then it's trying to figure out a way to be like right like 
but then 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 my thing is likely a need even if it's a i need to take a nap or i need to you know like i just need that hour but so i often tell people like you got to start by trying to really give an honest assessment of what you need and prioritize it mm. um i like yeah, that it's I like that a lot. There's a lot of moving parts there. A lot of it sounds like, I was trying to dissect it as you were talking about it, a lot of it sounds like is being objectively aware of how you're feeling in that moment and almost being able to look at the situation from above, if that makes sense, right? Where I know a lot of people, they people and myself included, I think everyone to some level struggles with guilt in some way, shape or form. And for me and, and a lot of the my my clients who I've worked with is sometimes when you're struggling with guilt, you know you're feeling guilty, but you're you're feeling it. You know how you said the intellectual side and the emotional side don't speak the same language. You're mm -hmm. feeling the guilt and it feels bad, but you're not logically addressing it. You're not objectively looking at it from above. Absolutely. And so, so being able to in that moment recognize, hey. You said, be honest with yourself. Hey, I'm feeling guilty right now. Just being able to say that out loud and then look at the situation from above me, like maybe here's why. And then let's try and discuss why I feel that way. Should I feel that way? And what can I do to relieve this and make the next best decision all starts with being objectively aware of how you're feeling in that moment. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so very often we skip over that. We skip over asking ourselves, what do we want? Like, mm -hmm. like, like, what do I want? Because so many people skip right over that to like, what's the right thing to do? Mm. Or what's the like, and they don't even think about like, what do I need and want? And, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I've worked with people before where I'll go through this and say, hold on, things that are for you. Like, are they on your calendar? Like people who use a Google calendar or like any sort of like electronic calendar when they color code things, I'm sure like we all have those who are like well-organized and it's, but what's amazing is people rarely put their mm -hmm. own private time or their own set aside time on the calendar. So if I decided, hey, Saturday morning is when I wanna start exercising. And I know that, I keep it in my head. Everything else is on my calendar. Well then now what happens is if somebody calls and says, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? I look at my calendar. Mm. Where are the openings, right? Where's the negative space? Where's the like, and I'll look and be like, well, Saturday morning's open and I will just put something in there. So I tell people, put it on your calendar because mm. now you have to reschedule it. You have to move it. So if you look and you're like, oh, actually I blocked out Saturday morning. Well, now when I look at my schedule, I'm like, well, where am I moving that? If there's nowhere to move it, it at least triggers something, you know, kind of cognitively, the thought process goes to like, oh, well, I'm canceling that. Uh, I'm not just, whereas if it's not on your calendar, it just keeps getting pushed. That makes so sense. It's where like I say, and again, it doesn't work for everybody, but I will say to some people like, you know, I was talking to somebody about this recently um, who actually loves uh, Peloton rarely does it as much as they would like. And I was like, but do you put it on your calendar? And they were like, nope. I was like, why? Like if you specifically have organized your schedule so you could exercise in the morning and like, but you don't put it on your calendar, then it looks like open space. So 
before you go to bed, you wake up in the morning, you check your work email and somebody's like, hey, do you have half an hour? You look at your day mm. and you're like, I don't. Well, yes, I do. Like a half an hour before I'm supposed to start work, I could add it. But now all of a sudden it's like either I get up earlier and that comes out of sleep or I cancel it or I mm -hmm. do a shorter ride than I want or I do like, and that, that builds. Um, that, that makes I mean, sense. It's, um, oh, sorry, you're gonna. Well, so I, I was gonna talk, uh, moving slightly further on, there was something that you were talking about specifically empaths and people, the group of people who want to do good for their group. Um, I've found, you know, I consider myself an empath uh, in some ways, but I've Absolutely. also, I've also, j speaking in generalities, I've noticed that most women tend to be that way. And oftentimes mothers will often really struggle with that, you know, in terms of, well, my kids, what they, what they want is a need and what I need is a want, right? Using those terminology. Um, mm -hmm. and it's not just women, obviously, like I just said, I'm, I think I'm an empath, but one of the things that many people struggle with, and I've spoken about this a fair amount on my Instagram, not so much on the podcast is boundaries. And, and obviously it's different with your kids, like boundaries are with your kids are different than maybe boundaries with work or boundaries with friends or, or boundaries with someone you don't know. But do you have any, any ideas or strategies for how to set boundaries or how to, how to make sure, Hey, like what you need is the most important in terms of keeping yourself sane and healthy and all like, do you have any thoughts on that? Of, uh, of course. How long do we have? <laughs> um, we have, dude, we yeah. have a long time. Like I'm, I'm happy to go for hours if you are. Perfect. I, um, you know, I think one in terms of the gender stuff, I mean, and, and truthfully, you know, uh, obviously like, it's kind of a funny thing to have like kind of two men I, <laughs> talking about gender roles and things like that. But like, um, you know, but I would say, yeah, stereotypically, I think it's a lot about how how men versus women are socialized um, mm -hmm. and this kind of there's there's a different expectation throughout life put on on kind of young men versus young women about tending to others needs mm -hmm. and it is hard not to internalize that later. Mm -hmm. Boundaries are huge. You know, learning to be able to kind of prioritize your own need, you know, yeah, it's funny the, the way that I often talk about this and humor me and all of your listeners, like, I swear to God, this will come around and make sense, but like, stick with me. But like my, my, my go-to, you know, kind of metaphor analogy is, you know, we have a finite amount of resources, mm -hmm. right? So the analogy I often use is I compare like, like our own internal, like battery to a cell phone battery. Right. So the con concept or idea is we charge our phone overnight. You plug it in. The hope is when you wake up in the morning, it's at 100 percent. I think everybody has their own internal battery, right? Their own internal, like whether it's physical, emotional resources, that's kind of what we have to work with. And the challenge is, you know, well, you know, we all have all of these pressures. We all have all these stressors. And if you have any sort of chronic condition of any kind, whether it's anxiety, worry, parenting, I would put in a chronic condition, like, um, you know, <laughs> but like the challenge is for so many of us, sleep gets disrupted. And that's, I, I would compare that a little bit, like pulling your phone on and off a charger all night long. Mm. So if the average person has the ability or capacity 
to wake up at 100%. Very often, the way our, you know, kind of culture and society is set up, a really good night's sleep isn't an option. So for a lot of people, whether it's worry or responsibility, a good night's sleep is waking up at 70%. Mm. And the problem is at 70%, you can make it through your day, you know, without your phone shutting off, essentially. But all of these things, uh, jobs, relationships, money, anxiety, stress, depression, these are all like apps on your phone that open up whether you want them to or not. Um, and I use this when I talk about pain or chronic pain where I'm like, right, that is like an app that's just open all the time. Mm. And the problem is some of these, everybody has a dip, like guilt. Guilt is a rough app, right? Because all of these are there and some of them we can't close, you know? And so what ends up happening is we've all had those days where you wake up, you look at your phone and 70% and you're like, all right, not bad. I can make it through my day. And then by the end of breakfast, you look at your phone and it's at 47%. And you're like, what the fuck? I didn't even do anything, <laughs> you know? And now at 47%, I can't make it through my day. So with your actual phone, you're like, all right, I need to look for little ways to charge five minutes here and there to make it through your day. You know, uh, we do the exact same thing. That's a day where you're like, oh, I usually have one cup of coffee. I'll have two. Or normally I make my own coffee, but I'm going to go to my favorite coffee shop and pick something up as like a treat or people will nap. And the funny thing is, I think of napping, napping doesn't charge your phone. All it does is kind of pause the drain. So if you mm. nap for an hour, if your phone is at 45% or your internal battery is at 45%, if you sleep for an hour, you're not going to wake up at 55 or 60. You're going to wake up at 45%. Mm. But you're one hour closer to the end of your day and you didn't drain from 45 to 35. Right. And so the challenge is like, yeah, we all look for these little ways. And the other thing you do is you look for like low hanging fruit. You look for like, oh, well, I was going to swing by, you know, the grocery store because we're almost out of paper towel, but we're not out. So I'll cancel that from my, my day. And I'm like, I'll do that tomorrow. Mm. But the problem is, and this, this gets to the boundaries and the, the like, well, the way I think of this is we're all doing internal calculations all the time. So, you know, if you're on your way home, and your battery's at 15% and your phone rings, we all do an internal calculation, right? In that second, whether it's family, friend, a parent, it doesn't matter. We all of a sudden go, ah, this person's in a good way, it gives me 5%. If they're in a bad way, it can cost me 20. Mm. So if I'm at 15% and that person is plus five to minus 20, I'm not gonna answer the phone, you know, because I can't risk it. But the worst part is I don't get to keep all 15 because if my guilt app opens up, it's going to take five. <laughs> so now just because my phone rang, I'm at 10%. Mm. And the way I think of it is once you hit 10%, your phone or your internal battery, go, it goes into low power mode. It shuts down non-essential applications. So if you walk in the door and you're at 10% and somebody in your house or somebody calls and says, hey, did you see that email about like a barbecue that, that we got invited to in May. What do you think? Can we go? Well, I can't open my calendar app, which means, and this isn't how we talk. We don't say to people, oh, listen, it's been a rough day and I'm actually low power mode uh, and I can't open my calendar app. So uh, I just need to feed myself, shower and go to bed. And can we talk about it tomorrow? Uh, no, it comes out. I've been in here. I've been in the door for like 30 seconds. Like, do you have any idea what I've been through today? You think I have a rat's ass about a barbecue in May? Like, and then 
people in our lives are like, whoa, whoa, like you don't need to. But the other problem is if I try and open my calendar app, it'll force close every time. And it will take a quarter of a percentage of my battery. So if I keep trying, I'm going to drain myself. And people who naturally are, if we're not aware of this, or people who are like, I I like, well, I don't want to say I'll get back to you tomorrow because now it's on my to-do list. Or if you're talking to somebody that won't let up and they're like, come on, just open your calendar. People will just be like, you know what? Yes, I can go. And that's like clicking yes on like an invite through your email. It automatically puts it on your calendar. So I didn't open Mm -hmm. my calendar app. It just went there. And now what will happen is two months later, I'll get an alert that's like, hey, you have a barbecue on Saturday. I'm like, what? I don't remember that (laughs) because I I literally couldn't access my account. I didn't consciously put it on there. I just needed that interaction to stop, right? In that (laughs) moment, I was like, you're draining my battery. I need this to stop. If I say yes, it stops. Mm. And so I think what happens for a lot of people is towards the end of the day, if your battery is at like, if you're low battery, you know, well, if you're sitting on the couch, if your phone hits zero, it will just power down. doesn't matter if you have another email to send or a call to make, just shuts off. We do too, right? Like I will power down, right? So you could be watching TV at the end of the day and people will just fall asleep. And now the real difficulty in some ways is like your phone doesn't turn back on at 40 or 50%, turns back on at like 2%. So I'll wake up 15 minutes later and it's like, well, is 2% enough to get off the couch, wash up and go to bed? Because if not, I'll power down again. And I'll do that two, three, four times before I finally can get up and go to sleep. But if I go to bed an hour, hour and a half later, that now I don't have a full night of charge. So tomorrow's Mm -hmm. not going to be 70%. Tomorrow I'll be lucky to be at 60%. Mm. And and so that's why people will say, I don't understand what's happening. By the end of the week, I'm I'm spent. It's like, well, because you've overtaxed your battery every day. Mm. And when that happens, if you have any chronic condition whatsoever, you know, also people learn to not trust their battery. We spend so much time learning the rules and it's really hard because one, this works for aging, right? Like just as we get older, your battery naturally starts to degrade a little bit. Mm -hmm. Apologies to everybody out there, but like aging sucks. We all know it, you know, it's a reality, but like, right. So if you think about it, a kid, right? Brand new phone, the battery lasts forever, (laughs) you know, right. And so kids and there are fewer apps. So there's less drawing on it. That's why kids could just go forever. You know, but like, as you get older, there's more complicated applications. There's more like, and your battery slowly starts to get, and, but we don't like to adjust to that. And so that's such a good analogy. The, the phone and the apps, like that's, it's a really powerful analogy. I love that. The reason I, the reason I like it is also because so often people will say things like, oh, we'll just come out. You'll feel better. Okay. No, thanks. But no, like, you know, the, the battery people tend to understand. And so I think what's really hard about it though, is like, right. End of the day, you know, like, or I use this all the time to explain to people introversion and extroversion, Mm. a natural extrovert charges socially. So all they need is the minimum percentage to get someplace and they will feel better at the end of it. A natural introvert can actually be very social but it is a constant drain. Mm. So the constant argument between an introvert and extrovert who are together or friends 
is if you have two people or they go to a concert, an extrovert at the end of that concert is going to be at like 70, 80 percent is going to be like, that was amazing. What do we do next? <laughs> a natural introvert is going to be like, you got to be shitting me. Like, it's amazing that I made it to the end of the concert because the whole time is a subtle drain. And like by the end of it, like, uh, you know, I'm just amazed I made it to the end. And so when they suggest let's go do something else, a natural introvert is going to be like, uh, no, I need to go home. I need to put on comfortable <laughs> pants. And I probably need to not talk to anybody for 24 hours to get back to full charge. So it, it's like, it, it's really incredible because we don't monitor our battery and everybody wants to believe they can will themselves to have more battery. You, you can't, it just doesn't work that way. Mm. And so I also think that that's where it becomes really difficult because where your battery is can change everything, right? So if you go to a barbecue and your battery's at 65% and somebody says something really obnoxious or stupid and it costs you 5%, Okay, well, if I go from 65 to 60, I'm good. But if that same day I am just tapped and I'm at 15%, same exact comment, same 5%, not going to hit the same because that is a third of my available resources. So now socializing starts to get really threatening because the more people that are around, I, I'm just like, uh-oh, is my battery okay? Like, And the lower your battery gets, we all use filters. Like we filter ourselves all the time, but that yeah. takes energy. So if somebody says something to you and the real response in your head is that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> we don't say that, right? Like you filter it, but the filter takes battery and you open up that filter and you go, you know, I hear what you're saying. And I know that we've discussed that, but I actually think that might not be the most effective way to get where we need. If I have, if I don't have enough battery to open up my filter, Oh, it's going to come out bad. And that's where people <laughs> will be at work and they'll get themselves in trouble or they'll be with family at like Thanksgiving. And they're like, well, that came out. And it's like, whoops, like, <laughs> because my battery was low, you know, or people will be like, I don't get it. I just started crying. It's like, right. You had no more battery. There was no energy to kind of open up what you needed to keep it down. Mm. And so the reason that I, I go over this and the reason that I kind of like this particular analogy is because I think like when you're talking about boundaries, when you're talking about how you protect your own resources, if you can start thinking in, in this terms, for one, for anybody in their life or couples or like it is a really, it gives a great shorthand because if you've ever had a day where like, you know, you're in a meeting and you step out of, you know, a room and you know, your partner, somebody goes like, what's wrong? You know, was it work? Is it your back? Was it your mom? Is it this? Is it that? You know, okay, that is all loving and caring. But that will take a normally calm person and make them be like, I should, um, sh sh shut your face. Like, shut up, shut, shut up. Sh shut up. <laughs> like, you know, like, I've never wanted to push somebody down so much in my life. Like, you know, be because it, it takes energy to respond to all of them. So sometimes this is a great shorthand to be like, hey, time out, I'm low battery. I, I can't even, and that will help lots of, lots of people be like, oh, then kind of a just, what do you need? You know, mm. which also can actually be a really, because what do I need requires a response. Yeah, years ago, I worked with a couple where, you know, one of the, you know, uh, you know she basically had migraines and 
she would say like, hey, when I have a migraine, what do I want? I want to be completely and totally left alone. And her husband like couldn't do it because <laughs> he felt so bad. He wanted to do something to help. And so they had this conversation and he was like, I have to do something. And he was like, can I like make you tea? And she was like, oh my God. You know, she was like, <laughs> and they literally, I watched this conversation. She was like, she was like, okay, yes, you can make me tea, but here's the thing. Don't talk to me. Don't ask me how the tea was. If I drink it, if I don't drink it, I don't ever want to talk about the tea again. You walk into the room, you set it down, you say nothing and leave. And I like, if I drank the whole thing, don't say, how is it? And he went, I can do that. And she was like, can you? And he was like, I think I can. I'll really try. And it meant like, but they hadn't had this comp like, so it, it's just those subtle changes where when it comes to, when it comes to your battery and boundaries, which was your original kind of, kind of comment or question, the reason I think this analogy can be helpful is one, it's really important to start tracking your battery. Mm. What charges your battery and what drains your battery? And very often, right? Like, um, one of the podcasts that, that like I was mentioning, um, you know, uh, the woman you were interviewing had kind of said like, oh, I wish we, like you were talking about kind of like prioritizing health and wellness and over the last couple of years and all that, like, and that, why isn't there more importance put on like move, eat healthy, take care of your body. Right. And it's like, right. Because we don't, we don't prioritize that. We, we don't recognize that this is something that helps my battery. Mm. And, and it's not like for the people who love exercise, the real problem is very often we don't take stock in our own battery. So let's say I love to go to the gym, but I need 20% battery. Like I need 20% battery to get there. And if I get there, I get 30% back. It's not 30% gain. It's only a 10% gain. And if it's rainy, okay, now I might only get 25 back, which means it might only be a 5% gain. But what happens for a ton of people is they say, I got to go to the gym. But if they're at 15%, they can't. It is not available to them. Mm -hmm. So now they start to give themselves grief. They start to say, oh, why can't I get to the gym? Which slowly degrades your battery. So already you were at a place where it was like, I can't, like, I can't access it. N not I wish I could, right? I literally can't. I need 20%. I only have you know, I only have 15. So that's where like, I talk to people all the time about like, right, you need to know where your battery is and what are your, what activities can you do that meet that battery, right? Because if the gym is 20%, but going for a walk is five, you know, or doing an at home exercise is 10, it's being able to say, where's my battery and what's within reach. And that has to be good enough. Or instead of giving ourselves grief, it's basically being able to say, right, what do I need to get 5%? Very mm -hmm. concretely, like, you know, what is it? Is it that I need, you know, a cup of coffee? Is that I need, like, I should work on getting myself 5%. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who like pay all this money for beautiful gyms and think if they go, they have to work out. And I'm like, wait, what? There's this mental hurdle of like, if I go to the gym and I don't work out, I've done some sort, I will tell people, I'm like, wait, 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 what? Like, no, if, 
if all you have in you is like, I'm just not ready to go home and I just want to watch TV. Okay. So go to your gym and like, yeah, like, like walk on the treadmill and watch TV or don't like get a smoothie and sit in like the lounge area. Like, I don't care. Like if that gets you some percentage back, there's a higher likelihood you might sit there and go, all right, you know, I can walk for like five minutes or give yourself permission to be like, great. I was at 10%. I came, I sat down, I had something to drink, hung out, went home and at 10% or at, at 20%. And now it can be a better okay. husband, wife, father, whatever, mother. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that like, so it becomes important to know what charges, what drains. And also like, very honestly, it's taking a look at your life and saying, you know, what are the, what are the drains? Is there any, is there anything that's right within my reach? Are there people in my life that I have just been used to donating 5% battery a day, you know, or maybe not every day, but 20% of my battery a week, sometimes in one day, sometimes over two days. Well, if you have a crazy week at work or just in life, or if you're not feeling great, it's being able to say, right, my battery's lower. I can't tend to that person this week. Mm. It's giving yourself permission to say like, yeah, like, or if I have something really important in any given day, it's being able to say, right, I can't reserve battery for that individual. You know, I can't be the one that's there to, now it's, it's different if you're talking about your own kids, you know, right. I mean, right. sometimes you don't have that choice. Right. Um, but it means looking at it really honestly to know, right, if I have to keep a certain percentage of battery in reserve for my family, well, but I can't also keep battery in reserve for all of these other things or all of these other people. And it can't be the same one week to the next. It's, it's why people have so much trouble, especially if most of their life, they've been used to having more battery. And they're mm. like, yeah, I can donate five, 10, 15%, but life changes, things change. And if you don't, and you're like, oh, okay, well, I have more draw on my battery, but I still do all the same rules as before. More often than not, you're going to find yourself at a deficit. And that's when people start to feel hopeless or depressed or exhausted or angry or frustrated or snapping more often. Um, right? Like, this is how I think of like, you know, the, the old adage of like, uh, don't cry over spilled milk. We mm -hmm. always pretend that's about kids. No, it isn't. That's about parents. <laughs> that, is, that is about adults. Kids would not cry when they spilled milk if we all didn't get super upset. Right. But right. why do we get upset? Because if my day is jam packed and I have budgeted 10% to get my kids ready and dressed and fed and out to school, and milk gets spilled and now it's 15% battery and I didn't budget that, it's threatening my whole day. Mm. So now I'm all of a sudden frustrated and it's like, right, but like, okay. It, that's why the same exact thing happens on a Saturday when I'm like, oh, I have 60% battery, but nothing to do today. Right. Same thing, I'm not gonna get upset. And I think that very often, you know, we, we cut out too many of our own, like the, the things that charge, we cut those first mm. and, or we allow people in our lives to kind of take up battery in place of what we need. And I think this, I think if you start thinking about things in this term, if you start, it, it starts to get a little easier to be like, oh, 
I get it. I've been donating battery here or, you know, work is taking up way too much battery mm. or, you know, but it's, it's, uh, it becomes really important to give yourself permission to like identify those areas and try and make some changes to say like, right, I have to adjust if I'm low battery and it's okay for me to kind of say like, yeah, I can't just be there with infinite battery for other people. Dude, you know, this is such a genius analogy for so many reasons. There, there are two reasons that are top of mind right now. One of them, and I think the foremost one is, I think one of the reasons many people struggle with boundaries is because of the name we've given it, boundaries, right? And if you take someone who's an empath, someone who, who wants to do good for other people, they don't like the idea of cutting someone else off if they need something or even if they want something. Someone who's very empathetic towards someone else they they want to be there for other people. They they feel good about that. And setting a boundary can be really difficult because you feel like you're actually separating yourself from them. But when you have this mindset, the analogy you just said, of it, no, no, it's not about creating a boundary. It's about it's your own battery. And they have a mm -hmm. battery too. And if, if you're able to – it's sort of the concept of sometimes you have to be selfish in order to be selfless. It's like sometimes you have to be selfish in order to make sure that your own battery doesn't get drained too far. So thinking of it in this concept, can help you be able to establish boundaries without feeling bad about it. And I also love it because it's such a simple thing to explain to your kids where it's like, oh, mommy's battery is a little bit low or daddy's battery is a little bit low. And they'd be like, oh, okay. Because you know, kids now, I see kids using iPhones and iPads and all that stuff. Like they know when battery is low, they get it. So it might be mm -hmm. easy. Oh, okay. Like mommy or daddy's battery is low right now. Like maybe like, I don't know. And I don't have a kid yet, but like maybe it will help them understand why you might be like, hey, Instead of saying, I'm about to get angry or like, hey, my battery's getting a little bit low. I need you to be on your best behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they, depending on their age, they may understand it. They may not. But it's a great way to be able to explain to people in your life. I mean, like I say this to people all the time. You know, I mean, obviously I'm interacting with people who have chronic pain, you know, and I'll say, hey, this is a very often people don't understand having any sort of chronic condition. It's just something mm -hmm. like people want to understand it. People who love you and care about you uh, will say the dumbest shit, like not on purpose, <laughs> like not on purpose, but like, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people I know who have some sort of chronic condition, whether it's fatigue, achiness, pain, any where they'll like, where somebody be like, Hey, how you doing? And they're like, Oh man, do I really want to answer this question? Like, do you really want to know? Or is this that like verbal handshake of like, how are right. you? I'm good. How are you? You know? And uh, it's amazing because like people will will be like, ah, like here's what's going on. They'll share really honestly. And my favorite lately is people love to be like, ah, oh, it's so weird. My neighbor had something really similar and they went gluten free <laughs> and it completely solved their like, you know, you know, their back pain. Their, you know, their, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. Like, and all the time it's like, right, this is about English muffins. If I cut out an English muffin, they wouldn't have like done surgery or an injection or like, thanks. I wish one of my doctors had told me that like, I should just cut out the carbs. And it's right. like, no, it's not about carbs. And like, but, and people don't mean to do that. Right. Like, but, it's coming from a place of good intent, but it's right. obnoxious. <laughs> so this model sometimes makes it so much easier to be like, yep, I just got a ton of apps open right now and I can't close them, mm -hmm. you know, or like work has been this or life has been that or like, you know, uh, it's why some people like when they say they have like seasonal affective disorder, right? Right. It is very possible that if you think about it, when it's dark or cold for some people, 
that impacts their battery. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden, it's like, right, what they're really saying is during the winter months, or for some people when it's really hot or humid, like my battery isn't as effective and I feel it and it takes a toll. And that's where I would say, right, like then what can you do for your battery? Or, you know, people do this all the time where I'm like, well, if you have something really important on a Saturday afternoon, okay, well, people like will wake up in the morning and be like, well, you know, 15, 20 years ago, like this is how my battery worked. I could wake up and I could, you know, pay some bills and make some phone calls and do some errands and clean up around the house and do some gardening. And as long as I have like half hour to like shave and get ready, I have more than enough to like go to this really important thing in the afternoon. But if you're not honest about your battery and you don't, people will go do all those things. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh crap, I'm at 20% battery. Mm. And now I have to go to like, you know, like this family event or like, and I don't know if I can make it. And either people will be like, I can't go. And then they feel terrible because they feel like, okay, well now I'm not doing what I'm supposed to, or they go and the whole time they're watching their battery. The whole time they're mm. like, oh man, like how long is this going to go? Or this came out like 20 minutes later than it was supposed to, or like, and they get all stressed. And by the way, your stress app tanks your battery. So now it's like, okay, now my 20% is draining quicker than, and, and nobody wants to be out when their battery dies. That's like the worst, right? right. Like, so, you know, so people are like, I got to get home, you know, and they won't be present or it's hard to enjoy it. And so in my mind, I'm like, Hey, if there are things that are important in your life, uh, battery conservation yeah that morning like do the things that you need do the things that are good for you like if you like to exercise or if you hate it but after you do you feel better yeah well then you like that has to be prioritized uh because that's going to be what makes it feel like you, you're able to be there later um and sometimes people can understand this analogy a little bit more easily and you don't have to go through all the details yeah, you know, dude, it's a, it's an amazing analogy. L let me ask you this, because I'm gonna give you an example, and I I'm gonna we have a dinner in like 35 minutes, so we're gonna have to <laughs> get off soon. But I'm gonna I'm gonna push this. Um, so here here's a concept. We're talking about like battery preservation, right? Mm -hmm. Now I'm gonna give you an example of something that used to drain my battery, and you you probably knew me like earlier in this time in my life, where if I saw someone on the internet saying something so stupid about fitness, like saying carbs make you fat, whatever it is, or a family member says something to me, whatever it is, it used to really drain my battery. Or even if someone would message me something mean, right? Like as my following grew, it would really drain my battery. Going back to the original example of someone saying something stupid on the internet about fitness, that used to like take up 25% of my battery. And, and I like it would drain it. Now, yeah. having seen it so many times, it doesn't drain it as much. And I can be like, eh, whatever, like not a big deal. The only thing that I can think of is like, I've gotten more desensitized to it in the same way that maybe a doctor on their first day on the job, maybe they, uh, they have a patient who passes away in the hospital and it just, that drains a hundred percent of their battery. They're like, that was devastating, but they can't, that can't happen throughout their entire career or else they're not gonna be able to be a functioning doctor. So they get more desensitized to it and maybe it doesn't drain their battery as much. I don't know if I'm asking the right question the right way, but is there a way to somewhat desensitize yourself to things that might 
in the beginning drain you a lot, but you can recognize it to a point like, ah, whatever. Is there a way to like to build that resilience to to help preserve your own battery? That's uh, an awesome question. And uh, I, it's really hard because with things that naturally drain your battery, again, this comes back down to that notion of like kind of the, the intellect, right? Like, you know, versus the emotion system. And the intellectual or cognitive system can say like, oh, I should stop letting that bother me. You know, so with something like that, sometimes it's time and exposure and getting to a point where you could be like, right. You know, and some people are just naturally hardwired that way, right? Like some people can, it can do certain things that others can't or that stick with them. Um, you know, like my, my brother was an EMT for years and I remember him being like, oh, you should get that. And I was like, what, what are you nuts? Like in... <laughs> In a kind of trauma situation, I'm calm, I am present, and then when it ends, I experience all of it at once, and it sits with me. And like, so I was like, no, I can't. Like that, that's it's too much for me, right? Like, yeah. And I had to recognize I don't know that I will hit a a place where I get desensitized to some of that, you know. So I have to know that might not be something that's going to be great for me. There are other things, yeah, you get desensitized to. Right. I mean, right. Like first kid versus second kid, you know, mm. and I, I I know we've been a little bit kid focused, you know, but like it's all right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but like uh, I remember I saw I saw a meme or a post once that was kind of saying, like, when your first kid, um, you know, eats dirt, you take them to the to the doctor. When your second kid eats dirt, you wash their mouth out. When your third kid eats dirt, you wonder, is there enough nutrients that maybe that counts as a snack? <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> Like even if a even if I could go back right now in time and talk to like a past version of myself with my with my daughter and be like, hey, you need to chill out about some of this. I don't even know that I would have listened to myself. Yeah. Like I'd have been like, yeah. you know what, future Josh, I disagree. And I'd have been like, <laughs> like, if I can't convince myself, like some things you just have to experience. There are other things that I do think come into play where it's like, right, but if you start to think about things in this context of of how it impacts your battery, when you track it, you're more likely to be able to be aware, oh, like these comments on the internet, this it's taking up 25% of my battery. Mm. Like I've had people before where I've been like, hey, write it down, write down what are the biggest things that that are draining your battery in an average day what's taking it up and it takes a little while because people will be like oh well this is 50 percent of my battery and then they're like well actually no it can't be like and it takes a little while to find you know what that is but when you really think about it and you're like oh man this is 25 percent of my battery that's not going to help you get to a place where you're like it's bothering me less it might help you set up that boundary and say you know what i need to <laughs> i need to decrease the amount of time i'm even reading it or it might help you be like wait a second, I responded once and then they said something even dumber. <laughs> and that made me, and like, it's learning to say, I can't have this inherent back and forth. Like I said it once, it got worse. Like, how do I remove myself from it? Mm. To say like, you know what though? And then it's being able to say, right. Like it can help speed up that process of getting desensitized to it. If you have the ability to say, okay, right. I can see that I just used a big amount of my battery on this interaction. 
no self-judgment. Oops. We all make mistakes. We love to give ourselves so much grief when we make mistakes, but how else do you learn? Right? So if you put it in this context and you say, why am I so exhausted? Oh, I used 40% of my battery worrying about this thing or thinking about or interacting. That's when it's like, oh, right. Then what, what can I do? Like, like actual concrete strategies to say, right? Like, well, then I need to kind of say to myself, I can't spend more than X amount of time reading it or responding to it. You set that boundary and it helps you realize like, right, I responded. That took a certain percentage of my battery. They responded. That took more of my battery. It's like getting to a place where you can say, right, my instinct is have this back and forth until my battery's totally drained or until what I, I get a like a win or mm. I can help somebody move towards understanding my perspective or, you know, whatever that rubric is for for like a successful use of time. But it's it's honestly it's almost like um, it's almost like if you're playing cards or you're gambling or poker, right? Like when people are like, wait, I, the more money I put in the pot, the further I have to see this like because I, I need to have this have a pay. Well, but that just runs the risk of losing more mm-hmm. being able to say, wait, OK, I, I put some money in whether I'm bluffing, whether I'm not, whether somebody else has more chips than I do, it doesn't matter. Sometimes the best thing I could do is say, okay, like, you know, I donated that to the pot. I got to get out before it drains all my resources. Yeah. Um, and if you think about things in this context, it can help you get there a little bit quicker. If you give yourself permission to be like, Hey, right or wrong, I, I, this isn't where I want to spend my battery. Right. And I'm, ca- I'm calling it quits right now. Like, yep. Better to call it now than just wait and see what happens and it could get way worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Right. Like, I mean, think of how often, like, we've all had a moment like that where, like, whether you buy something or, like, it's broken, it doesn't, like, and you call the company to be like, hey, this thing happened. And it should be a, an easy fix and you get the wrong person on the phone mm-hmm. and their battery is tanked. <laughs> right. So, like, you get them on the phone and they're awful and they're like, nope, this is your fault. No, like, We've all had that moment where it's like, wait, what happened? I wouldn't have made this call. Like I mentally budgeted and I was like, oh, this should be like a 5% call. And all of a sudden you find out, wait, this just turned into a 20% thing. <laughs> and you'll just stay on the phone and you'll get more and more. Like it's learning a skill of being able to be like, oh, time out. Like I only budgeted 5%. This is not what I was expecting. And it's okay to just get off the phone. Yeah. And just I'll be like, tomorrow. that yeah. is right. I'll call back tomorrow. I'll like... And I now need to, like, I now need to budget. Didn't think this was going to be a 20% issue. It might be, which means now I need to keep track of my battery and not take this on if I don't have 20% or uh, or my filters go away. And then I'm going to say a lot of stuff. <laughs> and then, like, I'm not going to get, like, it's being able to say, like, right, I got to, you know, I have to try and learn how to like track that. And I need to be very careful about what comes right. out of my mouth. <laughs> right. And like, but what you're talking about is you learned this over time. But so if you're looking for a way to speed it up, when you consciously start to track like, oh man, like that takes up a lot of my battery. Well, that gives you permission to say, you know what? But like, if I could use that battery someplace else, that's either more valuable for me or more likely to have a bigger impact you know, mm-hmm. than this one back and forth or interaction. It's it's why, you know, social media can be so hard 
I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there are amazing parts of it, you know, and connecting to people and things like that. But it's also tough because when you're a kid, you know, before all of this, you oh leave. My God, yeah. You at least like it stopped. There was a pause. Now it keeps going. So you have all these kids that are like, well, right. If my battery is depleted, what's my break? What's my separation? Right. You know, and if it keeps going, it's why a lot of kids, it's like, it's really hard. Kids, adults, everybody, right? Like there's no separation from it. Yeah. Just Um, constant. That's why, that's what I was interested in. I think, I think in one way I'm hardwired for it. I mean, I think early on with social media for me, it was difficult. There were many there, especially as my audience grew, it was very difficult in many ways just everyone's opinions and people being mean and all it was just it was very difficult but i think one of the ways i've become desensitized is just because i've had so many of these interactions in such a relatively short period of time where it's just like i don't care anymore where it's like obviously i care but it, instead of it being a 25% interaction it's now like a 3% interaction whereas for other people it might be like they might have the same interaction but it's going to be that 25 30 50% and um I was interested to see if there was a way to, you know, help get people get to that point. But I feel like some of it's just, you know, exposure, exposure to it over and over and over again. And and also being being in your own mind, like you said, hey, I'm going to call this quits. Like, you know what? There's no reason to let this get to 50 percent. I'm already at 20 percent. There's no way this is going to be. Po- so I see people arguing about politics and comment sections or arguing in, in in social media. I'm like, do you really think that you're going to change this person's mind? by like arguing in the comments section of this post like all this is going to do is going to take away from the time that you have with your family your friends right now make you super mad and then say the world has gone to shit when like in the room with you right now in person you've got amazing people that you love and that care about you but you're arguing with someone you've never met and have never interacted with and you never will meet and that's going to ruin your entire perception of everything going on it's like Mm -hmm. you just being objectively aware of that and calling it quits ahead of time can do massively amazing things for your, your own battery and mental health. Yep. And, and it's even making sure that like, right. Like you were saying before, you know, like the word selfish has gotten this like really negative connotation. Yeah. Just like calling it quits. People are like, Oh, well I quit. No, you didn't. Right. You drew a boundary. Mm -hmm. You, You set a limit, you know, you identified kind of how can I use my time and you know, without getting into any politics whatsoever, it's been really hard because so many people feel so passionately and it's really difficult when, when we don't track our own battery and we say like, okay, well, right. Like I do feel passionately about this and I want to advocate or I want to try and change somebody's mind. But if I don't take into account my own battery, then as my battery drains, my argument gets far less impactful because I'm not going to be able to use the energy to say like, well, hold on, can we come to middle ground? Because the more my emotion system kind of kicks in, the harder it is for me. Then like, right, if everybody's seen one of those threads that starts off with one level of like intense interaction and it gets worse and worse and worse until both parties, it's like, oh, even though I know I agree with person A, they've now gone in a route where it's like, uh oh, like, I still agree with your original core point, but you've hit a point where I'm like, I don't want you to advocate on my behalf anymore, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, because like you went, you went like in the wrong direction. And yeah, so some of it's exposure and some of it is being able to give yourself permission to be like, no, if, if you, if you want to take on that task, if you want to engage in it, you know, and you have the battery for it, great, you know, 
And if not, wait until you have the battery and then engage in it. You know, I mean, it, you're always going to be more effective when you have the resources to, to be able to say, hey, I'm bringing, I'm bringing kind of my best self to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why, I mean, it, I, I will tell couples all the time, use this analogy, check in with each other about battery. Because just because I'm low battery doesn't mean that like my, my spouse isn't also right. low battery. So if we identify that we're both low battery, that is not a good time to make big choices and decisions. It is only going to result in really big fights and arguments, you know? So, and like the key, like uh, it's almost one of those telltale signs when you have somebody who says, you know what? I don't have the energy to deal with this. And the other person says, well, I don't either. Well, right. You, you're now, you're now agree fighting. Right? Like, you know, and like, but it's hard to get to a point where it's like, oh, right. But then we should just put that down for now because we're both yeah. low battery. Like this is not going to be productive. Why are we and, actually agree? Right. And it's being right. Agree fighting is like, we do it all the time. Right. Like it's like, you know, where it's like, wait, hold on. What's happening? Like, I think we both think this is important, but we're both like fried. So like, and like, I'll tell people, wait, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. Like when people say like, I think we should pause this. It's very often hard to like get out of your own mindset in that like, well, but we're in a fight. I'm not so sure we are. We're both just cranky. <laughs> and, and sometimes like people will carry that like throughout their whole night when it's like, oh, well now the worst part is it's like one of those things where, where you get to the end of the night and, and you're like, well, now we're both frustrated and we're not like, and it's like, I think we're committed to a fight that I don't even know we're having, right? Like how many times have people been like, I'm not a hundred percent sure what we're fighting about, but I know I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> and that I was wronged. And it's like, mm. but if I don't fully know what got us to this point, there's a possibility I was low battery. Yeah. Like, and maybe <laughs> I contributed. Like, um, <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times I've had to say to Alice and I'm like, I will come back later where she'll be like, hey, I think something's going on. And I'm like, nope. And then like later I'll come back and I'll be like, uh, yeah, shit. Like, okay, like I insisted that I wasn't the one being defensive. You were. And as it turns out, it was me. Like, and in that moment, I was so sure. Like, and it it takes a while to be able to get to a point where I can be like, yeah, uh, my bad. Um, But and that comes differently for everybody. You know, for some people, it's like, I don't want to have to admit that that was my bad. I want to just kind of like send a happy text and like Mm. and have that be like an apology. And that's where couples struggle, where it's like if one person can say like, okay, well, that was an apology. I'm good. We can move on. And if another person is like, no, don't act like everything's fine. I need to hear you say, okay, that might have been my low battery. And and like that's where that's that communication piece, which is never easy. All right, man, I'm going to have to go (laughs) because I have dinner soon. But Josh, do you and this is an ongoing conversation with you and I do you have social media where people can follow you? or where they can reach out where like, cause I know you have to get it if you don't have it already. And just for everyone, like Josh is going to come back on the podcast. I want to do this regularly <laughs> with Josh. Cause like, if you're okay with that, cause oh, there's I, a lot that me? we I would haven't love touched it. on yet. All right, cool. I, but do so you have right anywhere now there is people can follow you? 
idiot. Uh, for, like, idiot. I mean, I, I have like, <laughs> I have like my private practice website, but that's like a static website. That's like, how do you email me? There's nothing really overtly exciting about that. Um, and all right. So I absolutely, I've been talking for a while about actually setting up like an Instagram and making it so people could reach out or I could put content out there. Um, you know, so what I can do for now is, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you my, my email. Um, and if any of your listeners, if anybody wanted to reach out or if people have questions, um, you know, what you I'll do is a lot I'm, of emails, just so you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well, so what I can do then is I, I will make it a priority to get, um, you know, to get an account set up where people might even be able to ask some of those questions. Cause I think one of the things I've learned from looking at your, the way you've structured is I really love that when people post questions others can actually benefit from the response yeah. or that yeah. it's, that it isn't a one-to-one, -one, you know? Um, so, uh, I will get on that. I will make sure if people have questions, you know, that there's a way that they can get a hold of me and I will make sure that I have some sort of social media where people can follow me, uh, in the very near future. Um, right. do you want me to put your email in the show notes for people if they want to reach out or no? Cause you might get bombarded. It's up to you. How about uh, we'll say like, We'll say, listen, if you want to shoot him an email, go for it. Um, he might not reply very quickly just in case there might be a lot and he has a family and a full-time job and he needs to keep track of his battery. But uh, do you want, do you want, what's your email? And I'll put it into the show notes. Uh, my, my email is josh uh, at burlingtonpsychological.com. I thought you were about to say, email's josh. <laughs> josh at. <laughs> See ya. Um, you know, josh um, burlingtonpsychological.com. Yeah, and I can send you, and it's funny, because I, I have one other email that, like, right now, I'm not even 100% sure what it is. So, like, uh, you know, I don't want to, like, let's stick with the one we know works. Okay. Um, but, um, but yeah, and I'm happy to, you know, to, to kind of do it that way. Perfect. All right. I'm going to, first, dude, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Um, I'm going to hit stop uh, recording, and I'll say bye to you before I go to dinner with my wife. All right? <laughs> all right. I love you, man. And thank you for having me on. It was awesome. Um, of course. All right, I'll talk to you soon. That wraps it up for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Again, if you'd like to follow Josh, I'm going to put his Instagram handle in the show notes so you can follow him there. Definitely shoot him a message if you found this helpful or just to say hello and welcome him to Instagram. And with that being said, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had a great time listening. And if you would like to join the Inner Circle, you can do that at the link in the show notes or www.sfinnercircle.com. Have a wonderful day and I'm going to talk to you soon.